Hello, I'm Harry Porterfield, and in this edition of People, Places, and Things, we'll take you on a journey of President Obama's road from a poverty-stricken area on the south side to the lawn of the White House. We guarantee you in the next half hour, you will walk away with a glimpse into the many faces of Barack Obama that not only represented hope, but the face that ultimately represented change. In 1985, a young, slender man with an unusual name was living in New York when he answered an ad in the classifieds for the job community organizing. My associate, Jerry Kelman, uh, who comes from uh, the New York area, decided that, you know, he, he went home to visit some relatives and he, and he went to see Obama and he had an interview with him. I met him shortly thereafter when he came to Chicago which would be around March of 1985. He carried himself as someone that had an edge of intensity and a serious mission about rebuilding that community. He had a capacity to learn some very fundamental lessons about how one works with other human beings in a manner that results in building power. Mike Kruglick, a fellow organizer, had been working with a faith-based organization Calumet Community Religious Conference to address the crises of poverty and unemployment that afflicted the area with the closing of the steel mills. A parishioner of Our Lady of the Gardens, Loretta Augustine Heron, was a part of the board who interviewed him for the job. My very first thoughts were, God, he is young. But as the interview went on, you forgot about his, his youth. Um, and you just uh, were overwhelmed by his knowledge and um, his sincerity. And young he certainly was, 23 and eager as a beaver, but that didn't stop him from accepting the $10,000 a year job with the $3,000 bonus. So he was to train us, which would allow us to address the needs of the community, identify problems, turn those problems into issues that were solvable. And he also was going to be raising funds, writing proposals, and building the organization. Another member of the faith-based group, Developing Communities Project, was Reverend Alvin Love. We had to do something about uh, creating jobs in the community uh, and if there were no jobs, lifting the skills of the people so that they can go out and get the jobs that were available. Uh, and so there was talk about establishing a jobs training center uh, in, on the south side. And so we basically lobbied and uh, organized, uh, marched if necessary, went down to city hall meetings and kind of sat in. Uh, to make sure that that jobs training center would be located in Roseland. Mayor Washington uh, located the jobs training center here in Roseland and dedicated it uh, on Michigan Avenue. The second project I think we kind of stumbled on. Uh, someone brought up an, uh, the issue of asbestos uh, in the uh, housing projects at Algale Gardens. At the time, the management denied 
that there was any asbestos at all in Art Gale. Ironically, they were in the process of removing it from the office at that time. So Chicago Housing Authority uh, recognized that they had the problem, but they were only cleaning up where the workers uh, worked and did nothing about the conditions of the people who lived in the housing project. Barack chartered a bus and uh, arranged for us to go down to CHA. And we came up with the CHA actually uh, funding the removal of uh, asbestos from Algale Gardens. Whether it was from pressure from our organization or, or pressure from the media uh, or you know just the outing of the fact that it was there and they were denying it, they, they did remove it. At the same time, we partnered with Olive Harvey College and began a training program for asbestos removal. And some of the people who lived in Algale Gardens who had no jobs were then trained in asbestos removal and then hired to remove the asbestos from the homes that they lived in. He was able to train not hundreds, but probably thousands of people. And this is a legacy within itself, because once you're trained and empowered to address issues in the community, that's the gift that keeps on giving. I learned so much from him. Basically, the empowerment piece had a lot to do with it, uh, that I had a right to certain things. And I've been able to take that every place I've gone. I can't tell you one specific thing, but altogether, it, it was a gift that I could never repay. Coming up next, Obama becomes a contender in Illinois' tough political ring. What leadership means is, first of all, framing the debate on the national issues that affect us deeply. Welcome back. While Chicago has launched many firsts, like the late Mayor Harold Washington and U.S. Senator Carol Mosley Brown, Barack Obama wasn't aiming to make history, but simply a name for himself. Gone but not forgotten, Barack Obama resurfaced on the Chicago scene with a coveted Harvard Law degree and the title First Black President of the Harvard Law Review. Anxious to make life meaningful, he practiced law and also taught at the University of Chicago Law School. While that may have been fulfilling to some, it was a mere appetizer to this man hungry for more. In 1992, he married Harvard-educated lawyer Michelle Robinson after a romantic courtship. The couple took residency in Hyde Park. Michelle, who was friends with Jesse Jackson's daughter, Santita, introduced Barack to the Jackson family. I believe after Michelle went to college, uh, she brought uh, Barack Obama home uh, for a traditional holiday break, I think, and we had the pleasure of meeting. I didn't uh, know what to, uh, to think or make of him, but he was a lucky man. He found Michelle. While Michelle was working as a lawyer, Barack was tapped to direct Illinois Project Vote, a voter registration drive that registered 400,000 African Americans ultimately helping U.S. Senator Carol Mosley Braun become the first black woman in the United States Senate. As a result of his work on the project, Obama befriended many of Chicago's who's who and set his eyes on a bigger piece of the pie. 
I was um, in 1995 uh, exploring the idea of running for Congress myself. At the same time, Obama decided to run for the state senate seat that was going to be vacated by the current state senator, Alice Palmer, who announced she'd be running for the second congressional district. When uh, Obama found out that she was going to run for that seat, he went to her and asked for her support in running for the seat that she was going to vacate. Apparently, she agreed to that. When Jesse Jackson Jr. announced that he was going to run for that second congressional seat, Alice Palmer thought she could not beat Jesse Jackson Jr. We said, okay, well, you're just going back to the state senate. The yeah. dissension came after Alice decided to withdraw from the congressional seat. We did have a meeting with Barack. He had begun to organize already his team to run, so he refused to step aside. She was very angry. Unmoved by her re-entry into the race, the aspiring state senator went on and organized his campaign. Even without the support of Chicago's political heavy hitters, he was able to make many strides once he settled in Springfield. While in office, he championed for low-income families by co-sponsoring a bill that restructures the Illinois welfare program by granting $100 million for the earned income tax credit for working families. Early on, I saw in Barack uh, the fact that he was highly educated, but at the same time, he had love for his fellow man and woman. He always wanted to make a difference. He prepared himself well, and I was, I've always been impressed with his commitment to duty. He says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If we're going to use economic development strategies that include gaming, then we should locate them in those areas that have high unemployment, high poverty, or having uh, problems uh, generating uh, business. Never one for settling, the 39-year-old state senator pursued running against incumbent Bobby Rush. What leadership means is, first of all, framing the debate on the national issues that affect us deeply. Gun violence, economic development in the inner city, health care for the uninsured. When uh, I got a call from Barack to support him against Bobby, I told him, mm-mm, can't, oh, can't do that. He was angry. That didn't bother me. <laughs> I said, well, you know, you, your turn's coming. That didn't make me lose respect or anything. I just thought this is a young man on his way. He's very aggressive. and so. He's moving too fast. And he was always driven by this profound sense of, of public service uh, and obviously elective public service. I think Barack in that campaign learned some very, very uh, important lessons about entrenched politics uh, within that congressional district. Obama lost by an overwhelming margin, teaching him a lesson on the hard knock life of politics. There is a hierarchy in the black community that this, uh, there's this sense that you have to pay your dues, uh, that uh, somehow uh, the generation that led the marches uh, to open up America, to open housing, uh, the Martin Luther King, those who followed Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in the marches here in Chicago, and those who participated in the Harold Washington era, that they were here, and that while some of us went away to college and then came back and sought service, that we need to wait our, our turn. 
always resilient, he refocused his energy and began working to pass legislation that would help working citizens. And I think that the very unique nature of Barack's own DNA um, uh, allows him to see both sides of historic struggles and within his own consciousness, within his own soul, wrestle with the profound questions that have divided, let's say, black and, and white. And he's come to a very different reconciliation that we can turn to each other and not on each other and that we can make progress together. We're going to come back on Monday and see if anybody has budged. Uh, right now, these really are not substantive issues. This is more uh, politics and egos at stake here. Uh, and so the train wreck that we've created, I think, is going to be difficult to disentangle. Don't go away. When we come back, Obama aims for the Oval Office. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. From community organizer to organizing in the state senate, Barack Obama detailed and calculated every step he took. With Democratic and Republican allies and a faint, yes we can, buzzing in his ear, the self-proclaimed skinny kid announced in January 2003 that he was running to be a U.S. Senator. The question is going to be turnout and making sure that people know that in fact this is a critical election, the most important election in the country other than the presidential race. And although the task would be challenging, he embraced the opportunity, despite the dirty politicking, by some of his opponents. Barack Obama and the positions he takes are a threat to those principles and the people of Illinois deserve to have a contest in which that threat is going to be met with capable and thought through responses that defend the great principles of this nation's life. But Keyes isn't letting up, calling Obama's views on abortion the, quote, slaveholder's position, which is drawing a measured response from Obama. I knew that if Barack Obama could uh, take his message of hope, of reconciliation, of bringing our state together to the state of Illinois, that the people of Illinois would give him a chance if they heard him. They heard him. He was elected our senator, and the rest is history. is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. He has that ability to really connect with people. Sometimes you just, you meet people and they're special. Uh, you know, you meet with the Munich for two, for two minutes and you never really forget that person. And I think uh, Barack Obama has always had that element of greatness in him. I had heard him speak over the years and uh, I'd watched him develop and grow, and I knew that he was a good speaker. But when he uh, came out in that Democratic convention and he delivered what I thought that, that was a speech of his life, um, I, I, I couldn't have been prouder of him and, and, or more happy to have been associated with him. Up next, we witness history in the making. He asked me what I thought about him running uh, for president. And I said, you have to strike while the iron is hot.
Welcome back to the show. With a method to his madness, the man who'd organized hundreds, registered thousands, and inspired a nation, followed his heart and cast his name in the sea of other politicians, all vying to be the commander-in-chief. He had called me to uh, ask me what I thought about him running uh, for president. Uh, I said, man, I can't give you advice for running for president uh, other than to tell you, you know, what my dad always told me. He said, son, you have to strike while the iron is hot. And he said, well, Rev, the iron can't get much hotter. I know that I haven't spent a lot of time learning the ways of Washington. But I've been there long enough to know that the ways of Washington must change. Although his 22-month-long cross-country tour had a great deal of controversy, he was able to remain calm through the storm. Because there is a big difference between talk and action and speeches and solutions and rhetoric and reality. because we love this country too much to let the next four years look just like the last eight. We get the crowds and the enthusiasm and the, the uh, amount of money they raised was, again, a testament to his ability to run a campaign. And quite frankly, uh, one of the most important uh, characteristics of a good leader is someone who's able to manage. On November the 4th, 2008, his anthem, Yes, We Can, crescendo when he was elected as the first African-American president of the United States of America. What seemed improbable a year ago is a reality. Barack Obama has been elected president. Barack Obama now projected to be the 44th president of the United States. The crowd went hysterical. There were tears of joy. And the masses that lined Chicago's Grant Park were ecstatic to be a part of history. There was a great sense of pride looking at this friend of mine whom I've known for about 20 years to be installed as the 44th president of the United States. My mom, who was with me in Grand Park that night, uh, to see her just crying and looking me in the eye and saying how proud she was to be an American, how proud she was that we were able to look past race, made her very proud to be an American, made me very proud, and I think uh, is going to be the way that this country goes forward. I thought about, wow. If a skinny kid with a funny name can become the president of the United States, then certainly a short kid uh, from the south side of Chicago with a, with a famous name and sometimes somewhat controversial name could be a U.S. senator. So the expectations that I had and limitations on myself, I think, were even raised uh, uh, by that magnificent moment. What he did when he ran for president is basically invite us back into the process of taking some part in what happens in our country and what happens in our government. I believe that it sends a positive message to the youth of this great country of ours that you have a leader whom they come to admire and respect and they too one day can become the President of the United States if they prepare themselves by becoming better educated and better informed. For my children to see uh, he and Michelle in the White House and their children to see the shining example that Barack and Michelle's love for each other represents. That 
a new generation of Americans will emerge from that example with a very different view of the concept of commitment. You can find this face on all sorts of paraphernalia, from t-shirts, cups, mugs, jewelry to you name it. His Hyde Park neighborhood is now a tourist attraction. His barber's hands are now being trusted by complete strangers who want the Obama cut. At a local restaurant, you can even find a breakfast named in his honor. And even one salon has changed its name to Obama's Hair Design. This is a wonderful time to be alive and to be a part of, of, of the United States of America. I'm optimistic by nature. I'm excited about the future of Illinois and about the future of this country and the direction we're headed. And I really believe that if we move forward with this president uh, and we work together, uh, there are no differences that we can't overcome. He has broken down a lot of barriers and, and uh, he's inspired a lot of people to, uh, to do more with their lives. I think the best is yet to come for the United States of America. And I thank God for Barack Obama who leads us. And although he's flattered by the outpouring of support shown to him, he is cautious about reaping the rewards of the White House until America the Beautiful overcomes its adversities. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. Well, that's the end of our show. I'm Harry Porterfield. Thanks for watching. And the world